Thanks, Sarah. So kind. Hello. So nice to see you all. Look at your lovely smiling faces. Um, it's such an absolute joy and privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning. I'm really excited for what God has for us. Um, this morning I'm going to be sharing out of um, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and I'm really excited for what God's going to share. So, but before we do that, is it right if I pray? Great. Thanks, guys. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus, we love you. God, we say thank you that you're with us. Thank you that this is your house, that we're yours, that you build our home. And God, we just say thank you that um, your goodness is so much better than we could even imagine. So we say thank you for your love in your name. Amen. Awesome. So if you've got your Bible, friends, go ahead and turn up uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I think it's also going to be on the screens, but that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. So I'll just read it quickly for us. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I love those verses. There's, there's only like two of them, but packed with so much goodness and wisdom in there that we can draw from. Um, so to put it in a bit of context for us, this is in Peter. It's written by Peter. Um, and we're so excited because Peter is one of the disciples who got to walk so closely with Jesus. He was one of the three who got to look Jesus eye to eye in his day-to-day -day life. Um, and Peter is an absolute legend. I love Peter so much. Again and again, we see him coming out, guns blazing, walking on water, slicing off ears. Like he's just an absolute legend. Um, and what Peter knows how to do really well is start, get really courageous, get going. And then all of a sudden hasn't quite thought it through of how it looks like. Um, so you know how sometimes people say during the Olympics, it would be really nice to have some average person, just like you and me, compete alongside the Olympian, just so that we can get a reference. That's Peter for us. <laughs> In God's grace and mercy, walking alongside God himself, Peter is our average representation that we get to see. He's just like you, just like me, which is why I love him so much. Just an average, simple fisherman from Galilee. But actually, God has all these incredible promises that he gives to Peter, um, so I'm super thankful for Peter because I think he just reminds me that there's hope for us normal people, just us average Joes. Um, and even though Peter has one of the most um, spectacular um, failures in the Bible, he ends up betraying Jesus, denying him not once, not twice, but three times he denies his best friend. Um, and then you see this amazing moment of reconciliation between Peter and Jesus that actually, if anyone understands grace, it's Peter. If anyone understands how to make something beautiful out of something that was horrendous, it's Peter. Um, and Jesus meets him so beautifully and so graciously in that moment. So I love it. Um, and talking about this verse, uh, Peter is familiar with rocks and stones. Jesus actually gives Peter this amazing promise that he says, on this rock, on Peter, I will build my church. So Peter's familiar with building. He's familiar with rocks. That's, that's where a lot of this comes from. And he's calling his audience to be inspired to this hope again. And like I said, if Peter knows anything, he knows this. The triumph of grace that he's received is the grace that he then gives when he's right, inspired to write this. So 
I love that. And Peter does so many things to catalyze the early church. He's the one who sort of challenges the Jews and um, calls them into their true calling, reminds them that actually Jesus, this one who came that looked like no one else thought he would look, is actually the Messiah and encourages the Jews to actually recognize Jesus as that. And there's so many salvations that come through that in the beginning of Acts. And then also, Peter is the one who bravely opens the door to the Gentiles. That's, that's you and me. People weren't born into the Jewish tradition, but actually that we get to have access to the gospel, which is at the time was this really scandalous idea. And Peter wrestles with it in Acts as well, but so good to see God's goodness in how he welcomes everyone into his family. So that's just a little bit of the context. So my inheritance is because of God's goodness and Peter's courage to be able to go after this. So back to the verses we'll be studying. Um, So what does it mean for Jesus to be the living stone? It sounds like a paradox. It's this really weird thing that actually a stone, um, probably like the cement of the ground that you're on, is actually called something living. So I love this because Peter has just witnessed the amazing, incredible, miraculous resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's seen something that someone, a beloved friend of his that was once dead, that has now been made alive. Um, so I love that Jesus does this. He does this so much. I th- how he takes something that um, was dead, lifeless, that actually he breathes new life into it, and he flips things on their head. So I think of it with wood. So Jesus, in his um, you know, 30 years of life, his work was practical labor, working as a carpenter, builder, really practical tradesman. And so he's really familiar with these materials. He knows what wood is like. I one time had this understanding that actually the cross that Jesus gets nailed to, that he lays on, that he takes all of our sin on, that same cross of wood, he's really familiar with that material. He's probably spent time sanding it, shaping it, molding it, not the very cross, but actually he's familiar with that process of wood. And that cross that actually ends up being um, the symbol for our faith, where we see it on necklaces or on a church building, it's actually now something that's been transformed to mean life eternal. So something that was actually used for death, he then transforms into this amazing symbol of life. Um, And he does the same thing with the stone option. So the stone, um, the famous one that ends up covering Jesus's tomb is this incredible, like weighty symbol of finality and death. Bum, bum, bum. But actually he takes that stone and he says, it's that stone that's rolled away. It's that stone that opens the door to his victory. Um, And it's that stone that ends up, he calls himself the living stone and then calls you and me the living stones. So he's taken something that was, again, meant to represent death, finality, and has actually transformed it into this beautiful thing of life. Um, So when Peter calls Jesus the living stone, he's referencing these amazing Old Testament messianic prophecies about Jesus. So the first one is in Isaiah 28, verse 16. He says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And again, in Psalm 118, 22, the writer says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So there's these incredible promises that Peter is giving us that actually we get to step into these promises of Jesus being the living stone and us being made in his image are also living stones. So Jesus is, 
He's established that something that was dead, he's now got the keys to death. He's not intimidated by that at all. He's won the victory over death. So he's living, he's alive. And he's, and he's not just living, but they describe him as a particular kind of stone, the cornerstone. Um, and I'm really fascinated by this idea. So Jesus as the cornerstone, the definition of a cornerstone is two. Now, the first one is an important quality or feature on which a particular thing depends or is based. So that's what Jesus is when we call him our living stone, our rock, the one that we come to, our cornerstone. He is that foundation, that basis. He's the one that actually we start on. He's the bedrock, the foundation, the linchpin. Um, he's where we build from. He's the absolute blueprint. We start with him. God in fullness put on flesh, that we would know his nature in Jesus. So actually, we have this really clear picture of what it looks like. So I'm really thankful for that, that actually we have Jesus who shows us, number one, actually that the, the blueprint, the foundation, but also number two, what it means to truly be alive. What does it actually mean to say, are we living or are we just passing through our lives day to day? And that word living, I love the definition. It says, to have a true life worthy of the name. I want my life to be like that, friends. I want my life to be something worthy of the name life. Um, and that's the picture that, that Jesus gives us as our model. So he's where we start. He's where we build from. He's the one that we measure everything else against when we're getting ready to build or lay any other brick in our life. So the cornerstone is, is the place that the builder starts. So to make sure that everything else is in alignment, to make sure that everything else is straight, that everything else comes in the right order, it's measured against this one stone, the cornerstone. And that, in scripture, Jesus is that person. So he's the one that we get to be um, modeled on and he's the blueprint but I think what's really fascinating is that actually he's the stone that the builders rejected I find that amazing like I think when you've been promised something for ages and ages and ages and ages you're going to have a few expectations in your mind of what it looks like and that was totally the Jews they had been promised this Messiah who would come um, and I think for so many people they thought it would be someone wielding a sword and an army, maybe a bit like Peter, cutting off ears, doing all sorts of things. But actually the Messiah comes and he looks like this carpenter, this average person who all of a sudden steps into the fullness of his ministry. And we see the son of God, fullness of God in flesh. And I think it's so fascinating because it was not what they expected. The Messiah was not who they thought it would be. It was not what they thought it was gonna look like. Um, but I think the thing that I find so much courage in is that that Jesus, who was rejected and disapproved of, re refused by people, he's the one who Jesus says he's chosen, he's precious, he's the one who I'm building everything on. So I'm so thankful for that because then Jesus builds the kingdom. Jesus builds our house. Takes the pressure off, right? Don't have to. I don't know about you, but when you wrote your to-do list this morning, I hope that wasn't on it. Having to build the kingdom for everyone. Jesus has got it. He's doing it. He's building his kingdom. Um, so I'm so incredibly thankful for that. But the exciting part is that we actually get to partner with him in building for the kingdom. So this brings us to part two of the definition of a cornerstone, which is where it starts to get very exciting, my friends. So part two says, so the cornerstone, the second part of the definition is a stone that forms the base of a corner of a building joining two walls. So I think this is really amazing. So Jesus is the corner. He's the blueprint. He's where we start. We build our foundation from. 
but he's also the one who joins the two walls together. He joins the other bricks together. That's us. That's the other people who get to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to earth. So I'm so encouraged by that. So not only is Jesus alive, but he calls us his living stones, that we're made in his image like like him. We were once dead in our sin, but he's made us alive by the way that he's, for the, for the victory that he's won for us. So I'm so thankful for that. He's been, he's been, He's transformed our nature into people who are alive and are worthy of the name living. Um, so N.T. Wright, who is one of my favorite writers, he, he says that our work, like our actual jobs, the thing that you show up to nine to five, whether, or maybe more than if you're a mom, you know this, it's not nine to five. Um, so whether that's our labor, our studying, uni, whatever that looks like, he says, N.T. Wright, that what we do now is building for the kingdom. So we get to partner with God as the living stones that we actually become these bricks that our work, the thing that we put our hand to, the labor that we build, that's for the kingdom. And Phil did a brilliant job last week of talking about that, of living for your why, that actually in doing your job, you're building for the kingdom. And not only that, but actually that in building up one another, in encouraging one another, in sharpening one another by living life to life, we get to build those other bricks, build those living stones as well. And then God, the master builder, finds a way to enfold all of those things into his masterpiece. So we get to partner with God in being living stones. People are the raw materials that God chooses to build with. Not things. Like, just let that sink in. Everything that we do as people, like, there's lots of things in this room. There's the chair you're sitting on that my lovely setup team put there for you. You're welcome. There's, like, these rugs. There's all these things that, they're things. And we've built this space to look really nice. And those things are amazing, but they pale in comparison to each one of you sitting in these chairs, each one of us in this room. People are those raw materials that actually God chooses to build his kingdom with. So in Exodus 20, we see God um, writing down his commandments on these tablets of stone, these immaterial things that Moses brings down and shares with the Israelites. Um, And that's the Old Testament covenant. It's written on stone. But actually in this new covenant, under grace, which Peter knows so well and is consistently reminding us about, we become the stones that God chooses to write on. My life, your life is what God writes on. It's what he builds with. Um, So I think that's such an amazing thing that actually we get to partner with him in building for the kingdom. So I think as I started reading that, I was like, wow, God, what's written on my life? What What's the thing that's on me? What's what's the thing that's on my friends that I get to see and draw out and encourage and build together? And that actually Jesus gets to be this meeting place where you and I find one another to be able to build family and build kingdom. So ask yourselves those things. What is written on your life? Where What is it that God is building and doing together? Um, and I really want my life to be something that builds rather than Um, accuses or draws down or tears down. I want my life to be something that builds for the kingdom and that builds those around me. Um, So all these kind of things he's saying that, right, so we've got Jesus, the cornerstone. We've got us, the living stones being joined together. And he says, we're being built into a spiritual house. Um, So that word built is to restore by building, to repair, to found, to establish. It's the very beginning. It's the really exciting part where actually something is beginning to grow. Something is beginning to be built. 
And that word spiritual house, um, the Greek word that's used there is that word oikos. We talk about this word a lot here at Vine Life because we're not, we don't care about building a business. We care about building a family. And that's what Jesus is saying, that actually I am the living stone where you find your foundation. You are my living stones made in our image. And together we're building this spiritual house. But it's not, again, a thing like it was in the Old Testament, a temple where maybe God's presence would come and reside. It's actually us that we get to become now the temples. So he's building this family. And I think family for me is really that place where you get to be seen, known, the place that you know that you belong. First and foremost, by the Father, that the Father knows you, the Father sees you, but then actually us as your family, we see you. We're, we're together with you. And that's what we're building together as family. And the word believers is actually translated brothers and sisters in Christ. So the demonstration of our belief is actually that we're family, that we're brothers and sisters together in this. Um, so I'm so encouraged by that. And again, I'm so thankful that we're not just here to be living stones, that actually we're part of a building. We're building something together as family. And here I have to take a quick uh, side note because I think for me, if we consider Jesus to be the cornerstone and if we're the living stones made in his image, I like to think of courage as like the cement that keeps those two things together. It's the courage to be vulnerable, to actually show up in family, to allow ourselves to be seen and known and heard. And courage is needed to take hold of our inheritance. It's needed for us to step into all that God has for us in family and in building. So C.S. Lewis, the boss that is C.S. Lewis, um, he has this amazing quote on courage. I'll read it for you. I think it's also on the screen. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of the highest reality, a chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on condition. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. So this courage piece is so essential. Like, like I said, I think it's genuinely the cement that keeps your brick close to my brick because we're wired for connection. But the only way that we get to feel connected is if we have the courage to show up and allow ourselves to be seen and be in the fullness of who we are as living stone. Where I know the thing that's written on your life. You know the thing that's written on my life. So then we have courage together to be able to push one another forward. Um, so I got a chance to go to this performance uh, last week, oh, on Friday, actually, um, in Didsbury, which is amazing. My lovely friend Penny and Lizzie were performing. And it was this amazing vocal performance where people who had gotten these voice lessons were finally coming to perform. And I was just amazed at the courage that it takes to get up on a stage somewhere. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Um, get up on stage and actually open yourself up to people and say, hey, this is the story that's written on my life. These are the things that's on me. This is the kind of living stone that I am. Um, and I think a really precious moment in that um, concert that I was so encouraged by was some of the performers were a lot younger, so like little teenagers. They were so cute. Um, but they would get up there and like absolutely trembling with this mic <laughs> uh, microphone. And this amazing thing would happen where they'd be singing like eyes cast down, really serious. And all of a sudden they'd catch the eye of someone in the audience, whether it was mom or granny or some stranger who was just like, you can do it, keep going. And as soon as they caught that person's eye, all of a sudden you just saw a little bit of life come back into them, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more courage. 
into their heart. So they continued to step into the fullness of who they were as a living stone. And I don't know about you, friends, but man, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that when your life locks eyes with my life, I pour more courage into you, that you actually become the kind of person that can step into the fullness of who you are. And more and more and more, I'm convinced of this, that genuinely I want to be the person who's reflecting back the fullness of God that he has on people's lives. Um, so sort of, that was my little side note of courage. And genuinely, courage is uncomfortable, friends. It's so uncomfortable. Um, I read this cool fact the other day about how when a tree grows, its bark peels. That's why whenever you see bark peeling on a tree, it's because the tree is growing. It's because the core, the strength of who it is, has become too big for the casing that it's in. So it needs to peel. It needs to get rid of this old bark. And it's uncomfortable. It doesn't particularly look pretty when a tree's bark is peeling. And that's sometimes what it looks like for us. It's uncomfortable. And sometimes it doesn't look pretty, but wow, friends, it's worth it. Because courage is where we actually anchor our hearts to Jesus and the goodness of who he is and what he says about us for us to be able to step into the fullness that God has for us. Um, so thank you for indulging me in my little side note about courage. Um, but come, thank you. So coming back to actually what we're being built into. So we're being built into family but it's unto a purpose. It's not, we're not just being family because it feels so nice and cozy to be here with you, my friends. But actually, it's unto a purpose. It's actually outward looking. So at the end of the verse, it talks about how it's ultimately for us to be a holy priesthood, which is something that's outward looking. So this idea of priesthood is so interesting. Jesus is our ultimate priest. He's the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice once and for all for our sin. He's also our great intercessor. Um, he's constantly interceding for us on be, for, for, to the Father on, be, on our behalf. So he's made a way once and for all for us to be restored into right relationship with the Father. So he's saying that when you get built into family, actually the purpose of that is that you would then be this holy priesthood that points people back to the Father, the love of the Father. So he's calling us that holy priesthood, royal, chosen, ambassadors of reconciliation is another way you could say it. But genuinely, that's where he's saying that actually our lives, us as a family, points people back to the Father. Even in a normal family, actually that what you do with your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever your family looks like, that actually that points people back to the Father, to the goodness of his love and his grace. And we're reminding them of the access that they have. They don't need anyone else to be able to access the love of the Father. Jesus has already won that for us. So when we're pointing people back to the Father, that actually there's, there's no hindrance to that. Jesus has bought ourselves, like bought us. He's won it. He's won the victory for us. So actually in accepting Jesus into our hearts, in believing in him, in knowing him as our Father, that actually we have full access and I love that. And that amazing promise follows on a little later on in this chapter in First Peter 2 verse 9 where it talks about we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we would actually declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And again, being a holy priesthood looks like something. In First Peter, it ends with this, that actually we get to bring this offering of spiritual sacrifices. 
And it doesn't look like Old Testament sacrifice where we had to go find a lamb, which would be really hard unless, no, maybe the, the nuttles have a lamb. Maybe we could find, sorry, poor traumatizing people here. But we don't have to do that, thankfully. The lambs just get to be cute. We don't have to bring that kind of sacrifice. We actually get to bring a sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of our life, that I get to offer my stone into this building to, for God to do what he wants to do with it, that actually we get to build for the kingdom. So we don't have to earn our salvation, but actually it costs us. Family costs us. I don't know about you, but family costs us sleep. <laughs> it costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us our pride that actually we have to be committed to be in relationship with one another. We have to be committed to building family together. And actually, I think sometimes also the, it costs us courage. Again, it costs us actually being willing to show up as the full version of myself, not hiding, not withholding, but saying, hey, this is my brick and my whole brick that I'm contributing to this house. Um, so I'm so incredibly thankful for that, that we get to do that. And I think another part of that is actually how we get to serve one another. Um, so I can't get away from this, like in God's kingdom. So we're building his kingdom, right? And God's super clear that in his kingdom, things don't look the way that we probably think it's going to look. So he says, to be great, you actually have to be the servant. You have to humble yourself that you actually get to come into this place of offering your life to others. And building one another, like I said, I want my life to be something that builds others up, that actually in our house, we build one another. We let God be the one who's building his kingdom, building his house, but that actually we get to partner with that in serving one another. It looks really practical. Often it looks like small, super unsexy, like insignificant, non-glamorous acts of love and sacrifice. That's what it looks like. And Jesus rewards that stuff, friends. Like he's so passionate about those things that you do in secret that no one sees. So for those of you parents who woke up however many times yesterday night, he sees those things, the things that nobody else saw. He says that's part of the building for his kingdom. And I think for me, I got really challenged by one of my friends a couple of years ago who asked me, what does it look like for you to partner in bringing kingdom right now in this very moment? So I got really good at just asking myself that kind of question. And for some reason, this question sometimes would come up when I was in the bathroom. Um, so to let you know, in, in the bathroom, I, I'd be sitting there thinking, this is totally unglamorous. This is actually everyday, normal part of life where you have to brush your teeth, do whatever, standard mundane life. But actually to bring kingdom in that moment, I was really challenged, right? What does that look like? Because I think sometimes when we think bring kingdom, we're like, okay, the heavens are going to be shaking. You know, it's going to be this amazing thing. But again, we've seen this Messiah who everyone thought was going to look one way looks a completely different way. So in bringing kingdom, surely that also looks a little different. Um, so for me, it ended up practically, re this is really simple for me. Anytime I go into a public restroom, for those of you who've been in a public restroom, they're vile, especially those things called portaloos. I hate those. Those are an idea of the enemy to break me down. Um, but genuinely, I got really challenged to think in the non-glamorous, in the insignificant way, how do I get to bring kingdom? So practically that for me looked like picking up that nasty piece of toilet paper that somebody before me left, that actually I get to pick that up to bless whoever comes into the bathroom after me. That actually I get to leave it cleaner for the person who cleaned that bathroom. And so it's really unsexy, friends, really unglamorous and really nasty. But for me, that was a really simple, practical way that I got to bring kingdom. 
It looked like something small and significant. It looks like the mustard seed, but we don't see the thing, that the mustard tree that it's going to grow into. Um, so I really had to humble myself to say, kingdom probably doesn't look like all these amazing like life. Sometimes it does look like those life earth shattering moments, but a lot of times it just looks like picking up the tissue paper in the bathroom. <laughs> um, so I love, so I had to be encouraged by that. So to bring this to sort of a close, um, I really want to encourage you friends. Let's be family. That's in the business of building our lives on the living stone. That is Jesus. I want Jesus to be the one that I measure everything else in my life against. So my dreams, my purpose, those amazing things that get me really excited about my life, I want Jesus to be the one I measure those things against. Because oftentimes my dreams, just to be honest, only include me. So I'm like, my dream is too small. I need to measure it up against Jesus, the bedrock, the blueprint, so that it comes into right view, into a right perspective. And not just with the really good things, also with the really hard things. I want Jesus to be the thing that I measure my disappointment against, the thing that I measure my fear against, the thing that I measure all of the things in me that are saying, you can't do it, you can't do it. I want Jesus to be the one that I measure those things against, to keep it in right perspective. And it's not to diminish those things. It's not to diminish our grief and our sadness and our disappointment, but it's actually to keep it in right perspective, that actually in putting it up against Jesus, I see it in the right scale. And so that's really helpful for me. And I want us to be the kind of family that does that. So when disappointment comes, when things don't go according to plan, I want us to measure ourselves against Jesus, the living stone, the bedrock, the foundation. And friends, I want to be a, I want to be a family that builds and speaks courage into one another. Um, that reminds one another that Jesus is building the kingdom and that people are the raw materials that he chooses to build with. So when I show up to my life, when I see you, I want to speak courage into you. I want to remind you, this is why Jesus put you on this earth. This is what we're building. And that actually we're building family together. And family is complicated. It takes some time. It takes some courage. It takes some vulnerability. And it, ta- and it doesn't look like everyone altogether. While it is that, it looks like allowing myself to be vulnerable to those people who see me and know me and allow the cement of courage to connect me with other people and to allow my life to be cornerstoned on Jesus. So your life and my life to be connected on that. And the final thing is, as we step into our identity as living stones ourselves, I want us to be reminded that our family, us being family, has a purpose. It's unto us being this holy priesthood, being these ambassadors that actually point people back to the love of the Father that's so good and so gracious and so welcoming. And again, where we started, Peter, who's so well aware of the grace and restoration that Jesus provides, that's actually what our life as family points other people to, the love that we have for one another. That, that's what we get to point people to, to be this holy priesthood. So I want us to rebuild. I want us to rebuild the city. I want us to repair and restore and for our lives to point people back to the Father. Amen? Awesome. I'm going to invite Sarah up to close us, but thank you guys so much.